Hello, friends. It's Sean Rapier, uh, not with another episode of Latter-day Lives, but instead I thought I'd just uh, share something special with you all here. Uh, for those of you who have listened to the early episodes of the show, very early on, uh, I had a guest whose name is Jason Bringhurst. He is one of my best friends in the world, and uh, he is also the author of the Rocky Mountain Sunshine blog. Well, he is now doing his own podcast. It's just called the Rocky Mountain Sunshine Podcast, and it is wonderful. Jason is so funny and faithful and shares a lot of great things, and he actually decided to interview me and have me on as a guest. And during the episode, we spend a good amount of time uh, talking about Latter-day Lives and how it started and what it became and some of my favorite experiences. So I just thought that I would share it here and also to promote this for for a friend because it is so worth your time. Uh, if you enjoy good content, man, it is just an awesome show. Jason's very funny, very faithful, shares uh, faith-affirming and, and uh, faith-promoting stories on this podcast, and you can subscribe to it. Just search for Rocky Mountain Sunshine wherever you get your podcasts. So without any further ado, here is Jason Bringhurst interviewing me on the Rocky Mountain Sunshine podcast. Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Sunshine podcast, where we share faith, have some fun, and strive to add a little sunshine to your day. I am your host, Jason Bringhurst. Today, I have a very special guest, one of my very closest friends, Sean Rapier. He is the host of three podcasts, Latter-day Lives, Sharing Time, and The Castle Collective. He's also an award-winning cook with Gabacue Smoke and Grill. He's a speaker, a comedian, an amazing father, and he is a faithful member of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and so much more. You will love getting to know Sean. A couple of notes as we go into the show. We did record this over Zoom, and we had a couple of audio glitches, which is the nature of Zoom calls, but overall, audio is pretty decent. Secondly, this episode is fairly long. I tried not to edit out too much because it was just so great. So without any further delay, let's get into it. Well, I am super excited. Today we have a very special guest joining us from Linden, Utah. Welcome to the show, Sean Rapier. So good to be on. You've been on my show, now I'm on yours. Crazy. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Awesome. Yeah. You know the issue, though, with having you on the show is it's kind of like the the concert that you go to, but you're actually just there to see the opening band. <laughs> People are going to be like, you know... So uh, when's Sean coming back? Oh, not at all. Not at all, Jason. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Big, big fan. So it's awesome. Yeah. Glad to be on. Thank you. So Sean is uh, the host of the popular Latter-day Lives podcast, which has just recently wrapped up. And one of my very best friends on to do a show together today. And Indeed. she's like way back. I'm guessing 1997 or so. Um, I think so, yeah. It would have been right around 90, 97, somewhere in there. Yeah. You were coming back whenever you came back from living in Europe. Yeah, so in the 1900s, yeah. Yes, late <laughs> 1900s, as it were. <laughs> and, and, you know, Sean's actually someone who occasionally laughs at my jokes, so that's, always. that's why I like him so much. I always tell people that in our, our friendship that you're the funny one. I always tell people <laughs> that. I'm a professional comedian. 
but you are the funny one between us. No one makes <laughs> me laugh like you do, Jason. It's true. Okay, so I'll, I'll throw out uh, a very funny joke that I know that you're just going to love. Yes. Is that the way true comedians, you know, not at all. Start with a preface, so they, they yes. the bar so high that no one ever laughs. <laughs> True comedians start out by negotiating their rate. That's how they start. <laughs> okay, so why did Adele cross the road? Why did Adele cross the road? Uh, I have no idea. To say hello from the other side. <laughs> well done. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> well... Uh, for those who don't know Sean, and there may be someone out there. Lots of people, millions of people who have never heard of me. I so. I'm, I'm going to try and refrain from telling too many stories, but one of the funniest things about just traveling with Sean is no matter where we went, he would bump into people that he knew. And so, <laughs> so let's yeah. get to know you, Sean. Tell us about Sean Appear. Where did you grow up? Well, so I'm from uh, California. I'm a California native. I was born in Fullerton, California. And, uh, but I actually, so that's Southern California, Orange County, uh, not far from Disneyland. And uh, when I was two, I moved to San Jose. I lived in San Jose from the time I was two till the time I was 19. I was mm -hmm. uh, raised in a Latter-day Saint home. And so that's where I'm from. If, if when people really ask where I'm from, it's San Jose, California in the Bay Area. Back when so you, you could afford San Jose. I do know the way to San Jose. <laughs> way back when you could afford a home in San Jose. <laughs> I lived there. 70s and 80s. Wonderful place to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, you know, we, we were both products of the 80s. And I think that I've, as I've thought about the podcast, I think that maybe one of the reasons that we're kind of drawn to podcasting is the whole, uh, you know, wanting to be an, a DJ, you know, back, <laughs> back in the 80s and... You know, sure. that was, that was something I thought would be so cool. Of course, I also didn't want to live in my mom's basement for the rest of my life. So. <laughs> and you did it. We, we chose a, a different path, but here we are. We're, now you're a DJ and, uh, and you don't live in your mom's basement. So it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So after that, you, you, uh, served a mission and I think that, uh, you served where Xavier, my son wants to serve really? down with penguins. Yes, I was in, uh, I was called to the Chile Osorno mission and uh, Osorno is uh, a mission where everybody says, where, what? I don't know why. There are just as many missionaries in Osorno as there are anywhere else. But when, when people find out I served in Chile, they'll say, uh, oh, Santiago. No, Antofagasta? No, Concepcion? No, Viña del Mar? No, uh, Osorno. And they go, excuse me? I'm sorry, what? Uh, <laughs> in fact, funny story, when I... Uh, was getting ready to go on my mission, you know, this is when we still had true farewells, you know, when yeah. the sacrament meeting was all about the missionary. And so I spoke uh, in sacrament meeting and was, uh, I had asked my dad's best friend, this is, this is a family that we went on vacation with tons, uh, a man by the name of John Dalton. And John ended up actually being an area authority down in Southern California, um, really amazing guy, but uh, I asked him to give the closing prayer. <laughs> so he stood up and he said, "Bless Sean as he goes to the Orosno, or Orona or or Arsa or or," and he said, "Finally got uh, Osorno mission out." And then uh, he came down and uh, I said, "Hey, thanks for saying the prayer." He said, "Yeah, I almost created a new mission." <laughs> So wonderful experience, though. I loved my mission. It was awesome. Had a great time. And uh, 
you know, two years. It was great. Uh, uneventful comparatively. You know, Osorno is interesting. I don't know how much you want to hear about Osorno, but I, I love it. Yeah. It's an interesting mission. Um, Osorno, I'm, I'm, I think they may have changed the mission boundaries now, but uh, when I was there, it was the length of California. So uh, literally when, when I served uh, in, in Osorno, uh, we flew out from, you know, Salt Lake for, from the MTC. We were on a number of airplanes to get, we, I know we connected through, I think Atlanta and then down to Peru uh, or somewhere and then down to Peru and then Peru to Santiago. And then we had to um, stay in a hotel overnight in Santiago. Then we got on a bus and it wasn't even overnight. We'd gotten there in the morning. We stayed in the hotel for the day. The uh, Santiago South Mission president had come to meet us. And then we got on these buses and it was like a 14 hour bus ride uh, down to Osorno, down to the mission home. Then I was assigned to a little island called Chiloé. So after this very long bus ride, we spent one night in the mission home. And then literally I had to take a bus down to a boat, a boat uh, to a taxi, a taxi to the house. I mean, it was just, it was a ton of travel. It was a lot. We were about as south. I think there's one part of one of the Argentinian missions where you can be more south than we were. But yeah, we were among the penguins. The blessing to being so far away, in my first area, it was a little island called Chiloé. It's now my favorite place in Chile and one of my favorite places in the world. But uh, the upside of being there and being so far away, my first I was there for five months across three companions, mm-hmm. and I did not want to be there. And... I would go to bed every night saying, it's my last day. I'm just going to go home early. I, I'm done with this. And I'd wake up in the morning and I'd realize that literally to get home, it was the reverse. So it would have been a taxi to the bus, a bus to the boat, a boat to the bus, a bus <laughs> all the way up, a 14-hour bus, whatever, to the airport, and then 15 hours of flying home. And I went, gosh, I'll just stay one more day. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much, uh, I'm pretty sure if I had been called to, you know, Idaho or whatever, it would have been easy to come home. So yeah, yeah it was awesome. So you get back home and uh, at some point you meet Vanessa. Yeah. So I got home from my mission and uh, let's see, I got home. This is, this is great. This is, this just shows the way that the Lord kind of works in people's lives. It was fantastic. Uh, before I left on my mission, so I was, I was fairly inactive my teenage years. I was a little bit of a rebel, and uh, just as a teenager, I really struggled with life, and uh, kind of got my my act together about a year before I left, a little more than a year before I left on my mission. Um, and I was dating a girl before I left on my mission, and we were. We were pretty serious. I was dating her for a year. And uh, when I was on my mission, she wrote to me my entire mission. She never dated a guy my entire mission. She, <laughs> she, uh, you know, not, at least not seriously, at least not that I know of. I mean, I was down in Chile. <laughs> but then I got home and she was like, hey, you know, I, th- I think this is still a thing. And I was like, I'm still in. And and I was living up in the Bay Area, and she was going to school in Southern California. And she said, you know, well, how are we doing this distance-wise? And because she was going to school, I was newly home. I said, hey, 
all moved to Southern California. So I moved my entire life to Southern California for this girl. And I get there and things were just awkward. I could just tell things weren't right. And the very mm-hmm. first day I was there, she was a little standoffish. And I was like, what is going on? And she said, uh, she goes, I don't know how to tell you this. You know, it's been more than three years now, or it's been three years, whatever it had been. She said, I met a guy yesterday and I don't know what it is about him, but I feel like I need to pursue it. I just feel like, (laughs) you know, I just feel like I need to see at least where this is going, at least what's happening. And I said, yeah, of course, you know, just go feel it. You know, I thought she was just nervous, whatever. And then a couple of weeks later, she's still feeling this out, figuring it out with this guy. (laughs) And suddenly they're just full on dating. And the funny thing is, you know, I mean, I just, I was in love, whatever. And then all of a sudden it was just right. Like, oh yeah, all right. They're supposed to be together, which is fantastic. So I decided to move back to the Bay Area and I was packing one night and the spirit very strongly told me, hey, I told you to move down here, but I didn't tell you why. Mm. And so I unpacked and I stayed in, I stayed in uh, Southern California, completely unpacked everything. And uh, as a result, I swore off women completely, said I'm, <laughs> I'm done. I started dating a lot within our young adult ward. I did a lot of dating, but it was all one off, just a date here, a date there, whatever, you know, yeah. and I was, I was just going to be the bachelor guy. And then one night, uh, a bunch of us went to a concert. Now there was a girl named Vanessa. She was the unobtainable one. She was a great student, (laughs) beautiful girl, and she dated, she had dated two of like the most amazing guys in the ward, the two guys that like everybody just loved, whatever. And so I knew I had no chance. But on my birthday, we went to a concert and uh, somehow everybody ended up sitting next to each other except for me and Vanessa. We sat separately and I could not believe my luck that I got to sit next to her. And that night we went back over to my house and I was, Jason, you know how cunning and smart I am, right? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a genius. So this is great. True story. My, my first date with, with my now wife, we get back to my house and it's, you know, 11 o'clock at night or whatever. And slowly one by one, all of our friends are leaving. We're kind of standing out in the street in front of my house. And I had like six roommates at the time. We all shared a house. And they all left one by one. And as we're sitting there, I finally, it was just me and Vanessa left. And she said, hey, can I get a drink of water? Yes, fantastic. Let's go in the house. Let's get a drink of water. (laughs) Go inside the house and I get a drink of water. Well, I had a, a roommate at that house who had just hundreds of VHS movies, the whole wall was lined with VHS movies. This tells you how long ago it was. All these movies lining the walls, you know, videotapes. And uh, he had gone on a mission and he had left them there. And so we knew any time. I mean, this was like having our own private blockbuster. We could walk up and (laughs) grab a movie and watch it. So here it is like midnight or whatever. And I I said uh, to Vanessa, she was getting ready to go home. I said, hey, I was just going to sit down and watch a movie. Do you want to stay and watch a movie? She goes, you're going to watch a movie at like midnight? I said, oh, yeah, I'm not even tired. Why don't you stay? We'll watch a movie. (laughs) And she said, what movie are you going to watch? Well, I turned to point to whatever random movie was on the wall. It turns out that this former roommate of mine, his brother had come and picked up all of his movies. So the entire (laughs) wall of movies is gone. 
However, my friend Derek had been watching his niece and nephew and sitting on top of the television or on top of the VCR, the only movie there, the only movie in the entire house was Aladdin, The Return of Jafar. Not even Aladdin, Jason, just Aladdin, The Return of Jafar. And so Wait, I turned- so you're saying there's free water and <laughs> Aladdin, The Return of Jafar? Yes. Amazing, right? So I turned and I point and, and just as cool as could be, I said, Aladdin, The Return of Jafar. <laughs> and she looks at me, she goes, you were going to watch Aladdin, The Return of Jafar at midnight. And I said, uh-huh. And she said, all right. And she sat down. <laughs> we watched Aladdin. We talked. We went out for a walk. We stayed up until very late talking. And the next morning, uh, our mutual friend Mike came by. And he said, hey, how was the date last night? And I said, you know Vanessa, right? And he said, of course. And I said, I'm going to marry her. And uh, we were married less than four months after that. So That's the Lord awesome. works in very, very mysterious ways. That's great. So, and then uh, you get married and you have like one, two children, something like that. Yeah, we've got uh, a team. We've got an entire sports team. Before I get to that, I kind of, I kind of rushed over... <laughs> A lot of memories are coming back. Uh, if you don't mind, if I jump back a little no, bit, please. this is a this is a cool story that just shows just shows how good uh, prophets of God are. Um, I was, like I said, I was a, a lousy teenager, terrible. And when I went to go on my mission, my stake president, I think very rightfully so, was really apprehensive about whether or not I should go. And, you know, I had long before I had taken care of anything I needed to with a bishop. I was very active. But, you know, I was a high school dropout. And, uh, you know, he had known me my whole life and had seen that I'd gone through a lot of things. And we had just had several missionaries, not several, it was two or three in our stake. But at the time, I mean, you remember, this is early, early 90s. People weren't coming home from missions. There was a stigma attached to it that I, I think it's really good that the stigma is gone. Yeah. People need to, you know, if they need to come home, they need to come home. But as a result, maybe of the stigma or other things, we just, you didn't really hear about people coming home early unless it was medical. It was very, very rare. And he had had a couple of missionaries who had come home early and he said, I, I don't think you should go. And, you know, he, he kind of kept me for a couple of months meeting with him every week. And I think he was testing me to see if I would go or not, uh, you know, if I would keep going. Well, finally he said, okay, I'm, I'm seeing that you're going to want to go. I'm going to sign your papers, but be, because of some of your circumstances, you are going to need to meet with an authority and have them sign off on your papers. Hmm. And this was when, and I don't know if they still do this, but the authorities used to basically kind of take a break in July. Uh, all of the authorities, they at least stopped traveling during July. Mm -hmm. And so this was at the very end of June, very last weekend of June, and our stake was being rearranged. And uh, so Elder Shimabukuru was his name, was being trained to be a 70. And uh, he was being trained by Neil A. Maxwell. And my father had been a bishop, and my father was so worried that I wasn't going to make it on a mission. And he went to his interview and our stake president had already said, hey, look, uh, you know, uh, Elder Maxwell and Elder Shimabukuru, they have a lot of work to do. They're reorganizing a stake. They cannot meet with Sean. Just, it's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. 
And my dad went into this interview being a former bishop uh, to interview for the stake presidency. And he was sitting there with Elder Maxwell and Elder, Elder Shimabukuru. And he said, uh, he said, I, I need to, I need to bring something up. And he got very emotional and started crying. And they said, what is it? And he said, my son wants to go on a mission and needs to meet with an authority. And there are no authorities that can do it. We're, you know, they're going to stop traveling soon. And I'm afraid we're going to lose him. I'm afraid he's going to just give up. And my dad was very emotional. And, and my dad just shared that. And Elder Shimabukuru said, uh, Brother Rapier, I will meet with your son. I will be happy to to do that interview. We'll figure out a time tomorrow. This is important. And Elder Maxwell, <laughs> Elder Maxwell said, "No, I will meet with your son." And my dad said, "I I don't want to impose. I know you're busy." And Neil A. Maxwell said to my father, "Brother Rapier, this is the single most important thing I will do while I am here." He wow. knew that this was a salvation thing for me, that this would change the entire course of my life, Jason. And so as a prophet, as an apostle of God, he told my dad this. So I was out with friends that night, Saturday night, and there's a note on my door, a little sticky note that says, hey, come see me and wake me up. You know, I wake him up and he says two things. First of all, I'm going to be a counselor in the stake presidency. And secondly, you have a mission interview tomorrow morning with Neil A. Maxwell. I was blown away. I mean, this is Neil A. Maxwell, and I wish I had a do-over on it, if I'm being honest, because I look back now, I went in and sat down with him, and, you know, we went through the questions, and and he said, Sean, I want you to watch as I sign this. And so Neil A. Maxwell signed my mission papers right there in front of me, and he said, "Uh, do you mind if instead of mailing it, I just take it back with me? (laughs) <laughs> to Salt Lake City. I said, you know, I think that's allowable. I will allow it. Yes. Uh, Elder Maxwell, sure. And then he said, well, we have like another 20 minutes or so before we need to go out. He said, what are you into? You know, what 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 are your hobbies and whatnot? Now, this would have been a great chance to say, I love studying the gospel and you're Neil A. Maxwell. Here's a list of 10 questions I have. <laughs> I talked to him about music and surfing. And he started talking about how he had surfed and how he loved surfing. And it, we, then we talked about the Beach Boys. And then we started talking about all the, the bands like Jan and Dean and about surf guitar and Dick Dale, king of the surf guitar. And I was so wow. impressed with his knowledge of music. <laughs> I didn't ask him any gospel questions. And then he said, well, it's, it's uh, time for us to go out there. He walked me out with his arm around me. And, you know, I'm a large man. He was not a big man. But Mm -hmm. he put his arm around me, walked me all the way up to my mother. And I'll never forget it. My mom was in the front row. And he looked at my mom and he says, Sister Rapier, your son is going on a mission. And he gave me a big hug in front of the entire stake Mm -hmm. and went and took his seat up in the stand. And, you know, I'll never, ever forget that. I can remember specific details about that. And when he passed away, I cried. Because I felt like he was my friend and he was a special man. Very special experience. Wow. What an awesome experience. Incredible. Yeah. So, uh, Didn't sorry. Didn't you have a kind of a cool experience too with, uh, with I, Brad Wilcox? So I had, if we want to get into some, some cool experiences, I've, I've had a few. Uh, one was with Brad Wilcox. If you know Brad Wilcox, the speaker, uh, I was uh, 16 years old. I might have been 17. 
but I was 16 or 17. And man, I was the ultimate poster boy victim of the 80s. I mean, it was, <laughs> I had the uh, the mohawk and the earrings and all the nonsense. And, and I was dating a girl who was somewhat inactive, but she was a member. And she said, hey, I hear there's this great speaker coming. And I've always wanted to see him speak. And his name is Brad Wilcox. I had never heard of him, but we were dating and she said, wouldn't it be cool to go see him? And I, I had zero interest, Jason. I didn't know who this mm -hmm. guy was and I don't want to go to a church thing, but we went, you know, I made sure that I was looking really cool. Well, I had these, <laughs> these shoes on, we called them creepers. They were pointy crepe shoes. And uh, the ones I had were patent leather and they had like two or three inch heel or not heels. The whole sole it was like two or three inches <laughs> deep and they had a big silver buckle on them and they were pointy like witch shoes. And, mm -hmm just hilarious looking back at it, but I wore those and I made sure we sat in the back and Brad Wilcox was standing and speaking and I became really enthralled with what he was saying. But like 10 minutes in, he all of a sudden looked down <laughs> and somehow saw my shoes. Now he was up on a stage in a cultural hall mm -hmm. and I was in the back row and the place was pretty packed and he looks down and he goes, look at those shoes. <laughs> and I went, oh, no. And he said, hey, come up here. And he brought me up on stage and he said, I'm sorry, but these are the coolest shoes I've ever seen. And he goes, look at you. He goes, do you think I could pull off your look? Do you think I could pull off your style? And I was so <laughs> embarrassed, but I was like, oh, my gosh. And uh, so then he said, can I try on your shoes? <laughs> and, and I said, sure. And he goes, I'm going to wear your shoes. You go sit down. And he put on my shoes and I'm a size 13. And I think, you know, he, he had much smaller feet and he kind of <laughs> clumped around the stage for a little bit. And he goes, Sean, I'm sorry, I can't pull this look off. And so he <laughs> took off the shoes, but he left them up there while he spoke. I felt the spirit and I knew I felt the spirit and I didn't want to, and I didn't want any part of this. I was there for a girl, mm -hmm. but uh, I felt the spirit and at the end, I went up to get my shoes and he sat down. He said, tell me about yourself, Sean. And he took such care and such time and talk about just ministering to the one. And it just, gosh, I feel so emotional now. So grateful. So fast forward, uh, I don't know, must have been 25 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, do a little bit of speaking, certainly not to Brad's level, but uh, I do a fair amount of speaking. And if you're not familiar with Brad Wilcox to the listener, gosh, just type in Brad Wilcox. In fact, I noticed he gave the closing prayer for the Christmas devotional, mm -hmm. um, but he's just an amazing speaker. So I was speaking at this youth conference and they said, you're doing a session, then we're taking a, a like a lunch break or something. And then Brad's speaking. So I stuck around. I hadn't seen him since. And I, wow. I knew he wouldn't remember, but I told him that story and he and I both got very emotional together and he had seen the last part of me speaking. So funny enough, he actually sometimes recommends me as a speaker. We've built a relationship <laughs> since then. He's sent me two years ago a, a copy of his last book with a really nice, you know, nice uh, written personal note in it. Oh, and, awesome. and he's tremendous. When I look back at my life, I am in awe of how much God has uh, just played a role, you know. Um, one of the other experiences, if I may share it, yeah. uh, we were on a youth conference. I was, uh, I think, 15 at the time. 
And we were on this youth conference. And again, I didn't care a lot about the church, but youth conference was going to be fun. I still can't believe we did this back in the day because I don't think they'd ever do it now. (laughs) But our stake rented like five or six Greyhound buses and drove. And in those buses, it took like 20 hours in summertime. And we did youth conference at BYU. And this was done every other year within our stake uh, from San Jose. And so I was there with one of my best friends. His name is Jimmy. And the last day of youth conference, we went up to Salt Lake City and went to the church offices. And we had kind of a quick church office tour. And then everybody had free time for a couple of hours to wander around downtown Salt Lake. And then we were meeting up again to go home. So Jimmy uh, says, hey, we're here. It was just me and Jimmy. He says, so you want to go say hi to my grandpa? Your grandpa? Who's your grandpa? Well, I don't know why. I I was not a smart kid, Jason. You know that. it didn't dawn on me that Jimmy Hunter's grandfather was, <laughs> at the time, Elder Hunter, soon to be President Hunter. Um, yeah, it was Elder Hunter. Uh, Howard wow. W. Hunter was his grandfather. And I went, oh my gosh, if I can meet President Hunter, Elder Hunter, you know, that would be amazing. And I, I think at the time, I'd have to look back to see who the prophet was. It may have been President Benson at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, but basically, so we, we went into the church office buildings. Now talk about, again, ministering to the one. Jimmy and I went and checked in. And at the front desk of the church offices, they said, sure, we'll, we'll send you up. You know, and Jimmy had told his grandpa that, that he was going to be in town, that we were going to try to see him. And they said, please have a seat in the hall. Now, this is in the main entry hall to the church office buildings Hmm. and all of a sudden a man walks by a man and I did not know my apostles and everything, but I knew Thomas S. Monson. I (laughs) knew Elder, who doesn't know Elder Monson, right? So here I am 15 years old sitting next to Jimmy Hunter and Elder Monson at the time, soon to be, or eventually to be President Monson, Elder Monson comes walking by and he's got a, a manila folder and he's flipping through papers and he looks over at us and he says, hello. Very friendly, very nice, and keeps walking. And I remember at the time thinking, Elder Monson just said hello to us. Well, he took about 10 more steps, and then he stopped, and he turned around, and he walked back over to us. Man, I'm getting emotional with all these stories. He stopped, and he came back to us, and he said, Brethren, hello. I'm Elder Monson. What's your name? And he said, Jimmy, and I'm Sean. He said, you know what? I was busy with these papers and I was reading things and, and I'm sorry, I should have stopped and said hello. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me for not stopping and saying hello? And Jimmy and I were both like, no, it's, it's wonderful. You said hi. You walked by. It's not a problem. And he said, no, no, it's important. We need to be kind to people. And so what are you doing here in the church office buildings today? And Jimmy said, well, I'm, I'm Howard Hunter's grandson. And he said, oh, let me take you up to him. And he went to the receptions and said, I'll take them up. So I got to ride in the elevator with uh, Elder Monson. We took the elevator up. He walked us into Howard W. Hunter's office where we sat for, uh, and then Elder Monson said, if you'll excuse me, I need to go. Um, Jimmy's brother, Dave, was there uh, with one of his friends, Dave Hunter, who ended up being the producer and uh you know, the filmmaker behind the singles ward and all those movies, the RM, all that. Anyway, we all sat there uh, with elder Hunter and then elder Hunter said, Oh, let me make a call. And he called 
uh, and said, oh, he's not in. Okay. He said, oh, you just missed the prophet by 15 minutes. <laughs> Shoot, bad timing. But we sat there with a, another prophet of God here uh, for probably a half an hour, sat there just talking to him and wonderful experiences. These, these uh, chosen men, they all, they all definitely focus on the one. Well, so going back, so we ended up, uh, ended up getting married. We moved to Utah for a three month internship, three months or no, six month, six month internship. We came here for a six month internship and that was 26 years ago that we came here for the six month internship. Uh, my wife uh, is an occupational therapist and that internship turned into a job. I ended up getting a job here and we have been in Utah now for, yeah, for 20, more than 25 years, actually almost 26 years now awesome. that we've lived in Utah. So I've kind of given up telling people we're going to return to California. I think that that ship has sailed, but it's <laughs> been, it's been very good to us. I mentioned that you have a couple of kids. Tell us how many yeah. children you have. So we have eight children. Um, we have a, a really unique family. You you watched it all happen. You knew us. <laughs> you knew us when we had no children. Yeah, maybe, that's why I jest when I say one. you have a, ch- a child or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jason and I have watched. I think I think that when we first became friends, I had no children, mm-hmm. and you had Julian, and I think that was right. it. Like literally, you had because I remember I remember going to a, a work party where we worked together, and you guys had Julian there. I thought we'd have the traditional three, four, five kids, you know, somewhere in yeah. there. Uh, I come from a family of four kids. My wife comes from a family of five. Mm-hmm. So we, we had no reason to think that we'd, you know, why, why would we have more than that, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, so we were living in Provo. We had, you know, no kids. Things were fine. And then my wife came home one day and said, uh, hey, um, these two kids I'm working with uh, need a home. They they need someone to adopt them. And I kind of laughed. Oh, that's not us. We don't adopt kids. That's somebody else does that. It's just not our, you know, not our thing. And she said, no, I feel really strongly like this is our thing. And like, uh, so yeah, so we did have kids when you and I first met because we had these two. So basically, uh, and it's always interesting because it was this time of year, but my, my wife came home and said, these, these two kids, they're one and two, and everybody wants to adopt the little one-year-old girl, but uh, they're struggling to find a home for the two-year-old boy. He's mm-hmm. autistic and he's been neglected. He's severely delayed. And so they don't want to separate them, of course. They want to keep the two together. So I think we should adopt them. And I was like, this is not happening, not a, not a chance. And, and so I went and prayed about it like I told my wife I would. And it took me a while. It took me several days of, you know, heartfelt prayer before I really got a strong answer. I still remember where I was. I was in a baseball field walking around when I got this answer that, yes, these are your children. And it became resounding that these were to be our children. And uh, so we said yes, and we then met with the foster mom, and the foster mom had wanted to adopt them, but she had other kids, and she had too many kids under the age of five, and and so Utah wasn't going to let her adopt them. But she saw our house, and look, we were a young couple. I was acting and doing stand-up comedy. Vanessa was a you know, a young therapist. We we had no money, and we, we lived in this little uh 
900 square foot home that we paid uh, $74,000 for, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were poor and young and she saw us and she said, I'm not sending these kids with these two people. And she had some neighbors who were very wealthy, very good people who had adopted two other kids who were looking to adopt two kids. And she said, why don't you adopt these two kids? And they put their name in for uh, the two kids we're talking about. And all of a sudden, we got a call that said, hey, uh, we have to give them to this other family. We have to. And if we don't give them to this other family, the foster mom is threatening to sue. Mm. She's going to sue the state because they're a better equipped family. And she wasn't wrong. And that was right before Christmas. Here we were planning our first Christmas with two little kids and we were gutted because we had received an answer. We knew they were our kids. And for a long time, I had a struggle with that for, you know, for a couple of months and I prayed and prayed. And then all of a sudden, one day my wife called me and she said, you're not going to believe this, but the family that became foster parents for David and Krista, who are the the two kids, uh, they don't think they can keep them. And they've already done a staffing at the state and we've been chosen and it's a hundred percent before they even called us. But if we want the kids, they're ours. And I was so bitter at that point. I said, why? Like, what's going on? I said, let's go over and meet with the foster family who had taken them in. Let's go talk to them and find out what's going on. So we, we went over there. It was that evening. It was pretty late. The kids were already in bed. And we sat down with this family and they were the sweetest Latter-day Saint family. And the mother just started crying when I said, I said, why are you, why is this not working? What's happening? And she started to cry and she said, we are an adoptive family. We've adopted two children. We know that the first two children are ours. And every night when I kneel down and pray with David and Krista, every night when I put them to bed, the spirit tells me, these are not your children. Wow. And she said, I can't do it anymore because I know what it's like when the spirit confirms that these are our children because of our first two. And these two are not our children. And they brought David and Krista down and handed them to us. And the four of us sat there just bawling. The spirit was so incredible. Mm -hmm. And we went home and the next morning we called their social worker and said, Hey, we're in, we'll do it. And they said, look, this family is having such a struggle letting go of them, even though they know it's right. Is there any way you could pick the kids up tomorrow? (laughs) And so sure enough, we went and I mean, we bought that day, we bought a crib and a toddler bed (laughs) and two high chairs and bibs and bottles. And, you know, I mean, it was crazy how much we had to buy. We bought all this stuff. And then then we stayed up all night putting together a kid's room. We only had a two-bedroom house. And the next morning at uh, 8 a.m., we drove over to that family's house and in the brand-new car seats we had just bought, picked up David and Krista. And I remember driving back to our house and looking in the rearview mirror, and suddenly there were just two kids back there. (laughs) I was like, what is this all about? But uh, that uh, that was the beginning of our family. We were sealed together with them. Uh, David is now 26. Um, mm-hmm. and Krista or almost 26. Krista actually turned 25 today. Yeah. So that was a long time ago. Uh, and then we said, okay, well, we've adopted our one and two. That's it. Uh, we had a son named Miles and great. I was ready to be done at that point, but, uh, mm-hmm. Vanessa thought we should have another. So we had a, a son named Keaton. 
I was working and had started building a career. And uh, so we felt like it was good. You know, we moved into a bigger house. Uh, the economy crashed, 9-11 happened, all kinds of crazy stuff. You and I started a company. I don't think we've mentioned that, that we were business partners. It, in 2001, we started a company together that we ran together for five or six years. Yeah, so, when I say I know Sean, we have spent an insane amount of time together. Yeah, we've traveled the world together, quite literally. We've literally traveled the world together. So basically... Uh, you know, we, we then, I, we were done. We had four kids at this point, two sons by, you know, uh, by blood and, and two adopted kids. And it's great. Our son, David, um, who we had adopted, he was going through a lot and they were trying to figure out his medications. And so for a little while, he lived at the Utah State Hospital and I would go visit him. He had a lot of behavioral issues. And one Sunday I went there and they hold church services there. And as I was sitting there, uh, <laughs> uh, sitting there with him, and it's a very special, very spiritual experience. And there was a speaker who said, you know, these kids are really struggling. The kids who are here at the hospital are really struggling. It's a, it's a mental hospital. And he said, but those of you who are parents to these children, you were called by God to do this. And as soon as he said that, the spirit said to me, you will adopt a teenage daughter. <laughs> Wow. And I mean, it was like a voice. I can remember, I could point out what pew I was sitting in because it was so <laughs> shocking to me. And I was like, no, that can't be right. But I couldn't deny that the Spirit said it. So I went home that afternoon. I was like, how do I tell Vanessa? You know, I've been the one saying, we're done. No more kids. And so I finally sat down with her and said, hey, I feel like we need to adopt a teenage daughter. And Vanessa said, I know. I know. I've known that for a little while now. Wow. I just needed you to kind of come to that realization. And so then we we put in with the state. We said we will adopt a teenage daughter. The state has a very hard time adopting teenage children. Mm -hmm. They have a hard time finding homes for them. And so they would call us and they would say, hey, we have this wonderful young lady. Her name's Lisa. And here's the deal. And here's her background. Do you want to meet her? And we never wanted to meet with kids to actually meet them because you don't want to get kids hopes up. Yeah. And I go, Lisa, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound right. Why? What mm -hmm. am I listening for? How would I know? <laughs> and, you know, we'd look through the files. We'd look at the photos. We'd say, I don't think this is the one. I don't think this is the one. And then one day my wife called me and she said, hey, we're meeting with another girl. Her name is Portia. And over the phone, I said, that's her. And wow. Vanessa said, I know. And we knew. I heard that name and I went, ah, yep, that's our daughter. And so she came over and visited. She was uh, 13 at the time and had been through abuse, the likes of which you don't want to imagine. Mm. It's abuse to the level that you try to pretend doesn't exist in that world, in this world. It's, it's that bad. And she was rough, but uh, we had her move in. We were sealed to her. And then I was sure that was it. And, uh, and then a little while later, the state called us and said, these guys are suckers. <laughs> we could probably place anyone with them. And they told us about uh, a nine-year-old little boy uh, whose name is JC. And uh, they said he needs a home. And at, at that point, I was like, I, you know, the first few prayers about adopting kids, 
It was like really drawn out. I need an answer. By the time JC came around, I just prayed, Heavenly Father, I'll just, I'll do it, whatever. This is what you want me to do. I'll just do it. But just tell me if I shouldn't do it, whatever. So we adopted JC. He's been a huge challenge for us. He's been in and out of uh, jail, unfortunately, and had some legal struggles. But what a great kid he is. He's an amazing kid. He was nine. He's uh, 18 now. And uh, and then, you know, once again, it felt like we were done. Vanessa called me and said the state called. They have a 13-year-old girl, another 13-year-old girl named Chloe. I was like, whatever, just, you know, great. <laughs> so we adopted <laughs> Chloe when she was, uh, I think she was, she may have been 14 when we finally adopted her. And uh, she's 22 now. And, and uh, that was wonderful. And then we really were done. I mean, I'm getting old, you know, I mean, <laughs> geez, I'm 48 years old. We're done with adopting kids as a young person's game. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then we met when we, when we adopted Chloe, we met her brother. She has a younger brother. And uh, really nice kid, you know, a lot of mental challenges for sure. He's very developmentally delayed, mm -hmm. but a really nice kid named Cameron. And he would come over like, you know, he was in foster care, foster parents or, you know, his social worker would bring him over for Chloe's birthday and for her graduation. So we kind of got to know him, you know, and he's about four years younger than she is. And then we got a phone call that we didn't expect. They called and said, look, he's 18. He is going to time out of the system without a family. Mm. He will not have a mom and dad. He'll have nowhere to go on Christmas or on birthdays. He'll have no one to turn to. Would you be willing to consider adopting him? And I was like, I didn't know you can adopt a, <laughs> a, an 18 year old. Well, it turns out uh, that you just have to be 10 years old, uh, 10 years older than the person you're adopting. And uh, they have to be free. So technically like an 80 year old could adopt a 70 year old. <laughs> <laughs> if they both agreed to it, whatever. So we, we said, yeah. So we ended up adopting Cameron. Now Cameron has no interest in the church. So, and he was uh, 19 by the mm -hmm. time that we adopted him. And so uh, officially, so we're not sealed to Cameron. We're going to let, let the Lord figure that out, but all the rest of our yeah. children. And it's been a blessing because, you know, we were able to be sealed Vanessa and I, when we got married and then Vanessa and, Miles and Keaton and I were all sealed to Portia. And then Vanessa Keaton, Miles, Portia and I were all sealed to JC. And then, you know, so as we've gotten to be sealed as a family multiple times and it's been a blessing. So it's been hard, but it's been a blessing. Portia, who we adopted when she was 13, she's 29 now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a ride. We're down to one kid at home, Jason, one kid. We've got That's a seventeen-year-old. Yeah. Somehow you you passed me up, and yet <laughs> you now only have one child at home. Uh, everyone, if you want lots of kids, adopt a bunch of eighteen-year-olds. That's my point. Uh, but yeah, so Cameron and David live in group homes. Um, they'll never live on their own. They both have those kinds of challenges. And uh, but uh, you know, the kids are all doing great. They all have struggles. They all have challenges. All of them have been through a lot. And then, uh, like I said, Keaton's seventeen. He's uh, a junior. He's halfway through his junior year. He's planning on putting in his papers in a year and, and going on a mission is the plan. So fantastic. What a blessing for all those kids. I mean, to, to just have a family, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it really, you know, it's interesting because it really puts family in, into perspective. And it's funny to me 
we all have our unique challenges. Like I know what you and Jen have been through with Xavier. Mm -hmm. And I've often said, I've said to you, I don't know if I, I don't know how I would do that. Well, I wasn't built to do that. (laughs) You know, that wasn't my challenge. You and Jen and your family was built to do that. We get people all the time saying, I don't think I could adopt, you know, one kid, much less, you know, six kids. Mm -hmm. You probably couldn't. And that's okay. Because I probably couldn't do, you know, there, there are families in our ward where I go, I don't know how you got a bunch of kids who all went on missions and all went to college. You know, <laughs> I don't know how you raise kids who aren't in the legal system. You know, <laughs> like I, there was a while where the police were at our house every few weeks, you know, and, and yeah. that's, we could handle that. Like we were, you, you figure it out. But the great thing is, does it really matter? That's the ceiling power and the power of the family. Proclamation mm-hmm. of the family is no joke. We have it hanging in our hallway. It's a big deal. It's real. We are a family. We just yeah. came together a different way. But I did not, you know, when people say, oh, you chose to adopt these kids. I, yes. I mean, out of, out of fairness, yes. But we didn't choose them any differently than you chose your children. Jason or than anybody else. They just came by a different delivery method. Yeah. But, but, but you chose how many kids you were going to have. Yes. But those were your kids. That's that was the plan from the beginning. Same with us. This was our plan. We just didn't know it until it all <laughs> came together in its own weird and wacky way. I remember uh, having a discussion with uh, someone about the temple and the thought came to my mind that there is no earthly power stronger than that ceiling power. And yeah. that, that, that's mm. eternity. That's beautiful. It's powerful, Jason. Yeah, so it's been a neat experience. Vanessa and I have been married for 26 years now. It's very funny when we tell people that 28 years ago we were both on our missions and this is our 29-year-old daughter, Portia. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because they actually, when you adopt a kid, they actually give you a birth certificate that says you were the parents at the birth. <laughs> so Portia has a birth certificate that says was born to Sean Rapier and Vanessa Rapier, even though we weren't living yeah. where she was or whatever. But, you know, awesome. so, yeah, it's been it's been a blessing, though. Well, let's fast forward. You started a podcast. How did Latter-day Lives come about? You know, I I love podcasts. You know, I travel a ton. As you know, I've traveled a lot with you. Um, but I, I've was just amazed at how much great content there was out there with podcasts. And I'm a big mega fan of Disneyland and was invited on to uh, a podcast uh, called Word on the Main Street. It's a Disneyland podcast. And I was so fascinated when I went and recorded with them. And I started seeking out Latter-day Saint material. And there were some good interview shows, but some of them were a little controversial and some of them were you know, some were very focused on just the gospel and some were focused on let's discuss controversial topics and whatnot. I just couldn't find what I was looking for. And my career has been such a blessing. You know, I've worked in stand-up comedy. I've also worked in the corporate world, you know, I mean, more corporate world than anything and have traveled all over the country and have just met a lot of fascinating people in my time. Mm -hmm. And I kept, I told Vanessa a couple times, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to have a podcast where the focus is on people. And I had this idea that was uh, conversations with fascinating people who happen to be members of the church. Yeah. And the idea was it would be an active member of the church. It'd be a new person every single week. We'd sit down, we'd talk about their life, 
and we'd cover their life and what they were most well known for. The original idea was just actors and comedians and people, you know, directors, singers, whatever. That was the original concept. And I kind of put it in the back of my head. And one Saturday, I woke up that Saturday morning, and I still haven't found good words to describe it, but I woke up one Saturday morning in July, uh, 2017, and I woke up and I looked at Vanessa and I said, well, time to start the podcast. (laughs) This is it. You know, we're starting the podcast. And I just knew it was time. And so I called up uh, Sean, who's the host of Word, one of the hosts of Word on the Main Street. And I said, dude, I don't even know what I need. I have no idea how this all works. And he said, well, you're going to need a good laptop and, you know, a good microphone and this and that. And here's where we do our hosting. And so I went out and spent a lot of money that day and bought all the stuff that I would need. And, you know, podcasting has changed a lot in the last three and a half years, you know, yeah. since I started. Uh, it was still very unknown. My first year, most of the time, <laughs> when I'd tell people I had a podcast, they'd go, oh, yeah, I have, I don't have a podcast app, so I have no idea. Well, you have an iPhone. It's native on it. <laughs> really? What? Well, how much does it cost? No, it's free. Like It was really a lot of education. But yeah. So I spent a week um, setting things up and got a neighbor of mine who was a, a Hollywood uh, special effects guy. and an artist, he agreed to come on. And I spent a week just kind of building out a studio, signing up for hosting, doing all the things that you do when you have a podcast. And you were kind enough to donate some cables. In fact, (laughs) if you listen to the very first episode, I said that the show is sponsored by Professional Cable, (laughs) your company. So yeah, you gave me some HDMI cables that I needed, which was awesome. You know, a friend of mine, Tracy Smith, designed a logo. We came up with the name Latter-day Lives. It was a little mm-hmm. bit of a play on a video I did years ago, a stand-up comedy video I did called Latter-day Night Live. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we came up with the name Latter-day Lives and we put it out there and I can't listen to it. To me, it's unlistenable. I had no clue what I was doing. And uh, But we interviewed Adam and then put it out there into the world. And then the following week, we interviewed my friends Brett and John Roberts. They run a uh, Board Shorts TV, and a lot of people know them from Kid History on YouTube mm-hmm. with millions and millions of, of viewers. And I thought, this is the right show. It was very light, funny, fun, fluffy. And then uh, Michael Berkland, a lot of people know him as Michael B. He was, in, uh, the, he was one of the main guys in The Home Teachers, the movie The Home Teachers. But he was in the RM and The Singles Ward and, and uh, Church Ball, all those church movies. Everybody yeah, knows him. hilarious. He's the funniest man I've ever met in my life. And in fact, uh, he, though, went through uh, an amazing time where he became an addict. He had some some mental health structure, uh, struggles. He lost his family. He lost everything and uh, ended up getting rebaptized. In fact, yesterday he sent me a really sweet text uh, letting me know that uh, yesterday was the eight-year anniversary of him being rebaptized, an event I'll never, ever forget in my life. But uh, I had him on, and I said, you don't need to share all the dark stuff. And he said, Sean, that's all I need to share. I need <laughs> to share hope that I can come back. And he gave this episode. When he left, my wife asked, well, how'd it go? And I said, I can't publish this. I can't share this episode. This is the light, fun, fluffy, ha-ha easygoing show 
and that was so heavy. I can't do this. And I prayed about it, felt like I should put it out there. I put it out there. It was uh, for sure in the run of the show, the most talked about episode. I had more comments about it. It, it was one of our most played episodes ever. I yeah, mean, it, it was, was life-changing. It was a bit of a hinge point for your, your podcast. Yeah, completely changed it. And then, you know, I kind of burned through my, my quote, Hollywood contacts and people mm-hmm. would start reaching out going, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm an author and I specialize in, you know, this or people who went through. And then we started getting people going, hey, I'm a former drug addict and I run a drug recovery program now. Or, yeah. you know, I'm, hey, I, you know, lost someone, you know, I lost my spouse through this and I had to come back or, you know, we had on and the variety of people we had on. So, I mean, long story short, Latter-day Lives ended up running more than 150 episodes. I think it was almost 160. Maybe it was 160 episodes. Yeah. And it was three years. We put it out every single week with the exception I'd take two breaks. I'd take a break around Christmas and a, and a, and a break in July. Mm-hmm. And it, it became really something important in my life and in the life of our listeners, lives of our listeners. It's weird, Jason. I, I sort of just kept doing it and we ended up <laughs> having, you know, tens and tens of thousands of people every month listening. That's we amazing. Built up a yeah. Huge I mean, that's, audience. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of interviews. And, uh, as I've, you know, found out, in fact, you know, I, I haven't done a lot of episodes with, with actual interviews, but, uh, there's a lot of editing and things that go into it. Yeah. It's not just, uh, you know, click a button and all of a sudden you're done. It's, you know, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of planning. And then with you doing all those, you know, interviews, there's a lot of setting things up and, uh, prep work and. Yeah. None, none of the episodes were just me with the exception of Christmas. Uh, my, a couple of Christmas episodes. Uh, one of the Christmas episodes, I asked our listeners to submit stories. And that's one of my favorite yeah. episodes. Um, and then there for our hundredth episode, Nick Galetti interviewed me. Uh, mm-hmm. but otherwise, Every episode. So every single week I had to have a guest. (laughs) What's great is after a while, they started reaching out to me, which was great. And so, and then I had a lot of PR people who represented Latter-day Saint singers and authors. And then you'd have one certain artist on and then all the artists who want to be that artist, they all reach (laughs) out. So it got to the point where it was very easy to find guests. Yeah. But we did most of them in person. I'm kind of grateful that we, we did. I had most, most of our guests in our home. But we did some over Zoom, and we had on some pretty big names. You know, Peter Breinholt, uh, who's right. a very well-known musician, he came on. We had on uh, Mitch, but he was the director of The Other Side of Heaven, mm-hmm. and uh, he was amazing. He's a beautiful soul. Um, in fact, he, Mitch was doing, um, he was doing publicity for The Other Side of Heaven, too, and his... PR person had uh, reached out to me and had said, Hey, you know, he's, this is, this is what's happening. Mitch Davis is his name. Um, So we'd like you to, we'd like Mitch to be on your show, but -hmm. because he's so packed for time, he can only come uh, at 10 o'clock on this night. I said, yeah. So no, I love to meet him. (laughs) He came over and he goes, Sean, I'm so exhausted. I can give you 45 minutes and that's it. And then we got to call it a night. I said, great. I'll take whatever I can get. (laughs) <laughs> we ended up recording for almost two hours. Mm-hmm. Then he stayed for another hour and a half and shot the bull. And we just talked and 
built this incredible bond. And then at the end, he was asking, well, how many people do you think will listen? And I, I had told him and, and then a few days later, you know, the, the movie had opened and I took our numbers and we, we had a really strong showing. Uh-huh. I mean, just the first day, thousands of listeners, which was awesome. So I took the report, took a screenshot of it and texted it over to him. And I'll never forget. He replied and he said, wow, those numbers are amazing. We're pals forever, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought the, the phrase pals forever is a lot of fun. So, yeah, it, so awesome. it did its run. And then I started feeling like the, a lot of the stories had been told, you know, uh-huh. like we, we'd kind of done what we did. We started doing another show. I don't even remember what it was originally called, but we changed the name to Sharing Time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sharing Time was a lot of fun. It wasn't every week. It was, yeah. and it was, it was just a lot more fun. And then also, podcasts took off. And there were a lot of shows like Latter-day Lives, which was great. Some of them were very focused on certain things. Some of them were interview shows like Latter-day Lives. And I really got this message that things were kind of done. I got called to the high council. I knew that was going to take up some time. I only had a year left with Keaton. And I, after a lot of prayer, it was hard to let go. Uh, you know, it was the Lord's will to start it, and it was his will to end it, but I was not in compliance with the will to end it. <laughs> you and I had some long conversations about it, and yeah. it was hard. Uh, but I'm grateful for the experience. People can check it out uh, wherever you get your podcast. I'm leaving all the episodes up. Yeah. Um, and most of them, you know, they're not like you had to listen to them at that time. You know, right. we might be talking about a project that that person was working on, but there are, if you want to hear 160 uplifting conversations, <laughs> they're, they're out there. We have some amazing people in our church. Yeah, and they are all well worth the time for sure. Yeah, in fact, you can look up Jason. You can hear Jason was a guest on the show as well. <laughs> yeah, yes. I hear that uh, episode 27 was everyone's favorite. <laughs> everyone's favorite. <laughs> was that where you were? You were early on. I was 27, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, But it's cool, and it's it's such a variety, and you can kind of scroll through and kind of figure out what the people's story is all about. And some of them are super heavy. We're sitting there crying yeah. together and – the only rules were that we were going to be honest and, and we were going to be faithful. Mm-hmm. We weren't, we, we never dip into controversy at all. Uh, we never talk about inappropriate things. I mean, people talked about having been a prostitute or having been a drug addict or whatever. Right. We don't go into deep detail on it, but man, I'll tell you my testimony and actually the bookshelf right behind me, since you can see me on video is filled mm-hmm. with books and art and movies and stuff from all the authors and all the people that I've met. I mean, it's crazy how many people we have Broadway stars and film stars and well, it, it's stars amazing and, that you started, you seem to really have a pretty clear direction of the format and everything. And right down to the, the tagline, you know, fascinating people. I mean, yeah, you yeah. can say that, you know, after 160 episodes or whatever the, the number was after three years, fascinating people who happen to be LDS. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, but you didn't know that we, day one. Was it was it scary publishing the first episode? Um, yeah, yeah, and and we were pretty clear. We were pretty clear on day one what it was going to be. Yeah. I really knew what I wanted it to be. I I don't know. I feel bad for Adam Sidwell that I don't know that I did him a, a great service with how I portrayed him because I didn't know how to do it. And then I tried editing and it was a mess, <laughs> and I was super nervous, but. Uh, but yeah, from day one, Jason, I knew what this show was supposed to be. What yeah. the only thing that's different is that I thought it all had to be upbeat and happy and funny. 
Mm-hmm. And the the stories that people related to most were when people have been through something. You know, right. there are, you know, one of the last episodes we did was a, a woman who, her husband was a canine police officer and had his canine dog at home. And the dog ended up attacking her son and her son lost his leg when he was two years old. You know, gut-wrenching. I mean, absolutely, you know, and people in the throes of yeah. addiction and people who were homeless and people who had near-death experiences, people who lost a, a a sibling, lost a child, you know, tragically, and people who had been betrayed by spouses. But each one of them to hear the depths of pain and sorrow. And, and by the way, and then other people who, yeah, just I'm a comedian and the whole thing was funny. Or, right. you know what, I'm a filmmaker. I haven't had big challenges in my life. I've had regular challenges, but... Mm-hmm. They were fun, but every single one of them at the end, we asked the same question of all of our guests, which was, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Mm-hmm. And have the person who was just telling you how impossibly hard their life was, and then crying and testifying of how good God is, really? <laughs> like, wow, that's amazing. And yeah. Latter-day Lives is a blessing. And I'm, I'm not saying it's completely over. We're, we're, we're not doing it now. Yeah. We may bring it back at some point. Who knows? But I, I like right that. now, I feel strongly <laughs> like it's done for now. But I sure love sharing time. Sharing time is sharing a lot of fantastic. fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into a couple things that you're, you're doing right now. Um, is there anything that before we move off of Latter-day Lives that you, you feel like you, you learned along the way or something that you wish that you could have done differently? Yeah. Um, differently, sure. I learned how to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in the earlier episodes, I feel like I was waiting to ask questions. And fortunately, I think I learned to listen, to actually listen, because there are some times where people will say something and the next question doesn't match up with what they just said. It's <laughs> that I had thought of the next question before they even start talking and I need to keep the show moving along. Yeah. And so that's something that I definitely learn. And, and, and I certainly have some regrets with that. Um, there's not a lot else that I wish I would have changed. You know, there's really not, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was good. We had a good run. Uh, as far as what I learned, I learned a ton, but one of the things I love, uh, someone very close to me, unfortunately posted something on social media yesterday that sort of painted the church in a, in a light that was sort of like, Hey, all members of the church are like this, you know, isn't this typical Latter-day Saints? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and the one thing I learned is there are no typical Latter-day Saints. For you sure. know, yeah. I had several, you know, black members of the church, white members of the church. Mm-hmm. I had Latinos. I had, uh, you know, Polynesians. I had every race, every age. I had people from every background. I had, you know, a guy named Sean on the show who is a Broadway actor with hair down uh, all the way down his back who teaches uh, dance all around the world and meditation and sitting there crying about the Book of Mormon and how much he loves it. And he actually was in the, the recent Book of Mormon videos. Amazing guy. If you, you know, I had on um, Dennis Schleicher who is openly gay and wrote a book called Are You Nuts? Why a Gay Man Became a Member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> Talking about the fact that he's gay, there are no two ways about it. And how much he loves the gospel. Anyone who, you know, I I don't argue much with people, but anyone who wants to tell me that 
Latter-day Saints are a certain way. Go listen to 160 episodes of right. Latter-day Lives and then come back and tell me. Come back and tell me about stereotypes after that. Are there mm-hmm. some? Of course there are some. But we have amazing members of this church, incredible people. And what I walked away with most is that's my tribe. These are my people. And I was honored to be able to tell their stories. And we have members of the church who have been through incredible things, who are doing incredible things. And they're in every facet of the world. You know, we had on professional athletes. We had on people who were, you know, whatever. We, we had on... Uh, you know, all these authors and, and singers and performers. And we had on a woman who was uh, ordained clergy. You yeah. know, she was an I ordained minister. <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> she was an ordained minister and became a member of the church. You yeah. know, she's only been a member for two years. Go ahead. Go ahead and tell me. Tell me what our church is like, and I will tell you why you're wrong. And it's a beautiful church, and I'm just honored to be a part of it. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, well, the, the landscape's changed, I think, quite a bit over you know the, the past few years on, with podcasts. You've yeah. started doing something that's become uh, popular now with your sharing time, with where you're doing a live stream. How how is that different than than uh, it, a podcast? Because you're doing video live streaming as well as uh, creating the podcast. It's been awesome, Jason. It's been so fun. Um, yeah, so sharing time. You know, it started with me and Michael Berkland, who we were just talking about, Stephen Jones, who's someone that people would recognize, mm-hmm. and Ken Craig. And it was hard to get the four of us together. And, you know, and then we then we decided to start doing this Facebook Live, and the audio wouldn't allow us to have more than two guests. And so mm-hmm. it became, over time, it just became sharing time, and it's, and it's me and Ken. And uh, basically what we do is we have a Facebook page. We have a lot of friends and followers on Facebook and we just get on Facebook live. We choose a topic and it's me and Ken and the topic and that's it. And then, uh, and it's a ton of fun. I mean, Ken, Ken Craig has such a fantastic sense of humor. It's, it's a really fun time. Ken is one of the sharpest. Ken and I were in the Garen's comedy troupe together and, you know, Ken's been a bishop just super faithful, someone I know I can trust, uh, you know, and, and he and I sit down and we choose a topic. We'll, we're actually doing one, uh, you know, coming up here pretty soon. We're going to do, so we usually do two episodes at once uh, because we're together and we get on Facebook Live. We have what we call the sharing squad. And so the sharing squad kind of chimes in throughout and then we release it as a podcast. So it is a podcast, but it's done through Facebook Live and there's no editing you know, there's there's no editing at all. I add some tag music to the front and back. Mm-hmm. It's very conversational, very casual. But like our next two episodes, uh, at least what we've chosen so far, uh, we're going to do one on uh, New Year's resolutions and then uh, one on predictions for 2021. And I'm excited <laughs> to see what the sharing squad and Ken's idea was great. He said, let's go back in January of 2022 and look back and see how we did with our predictions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But sometimes we'll do church topics, like we've done ones on family home evening, on conference weekend, and then other times it's sort of through a Latter-day Saint lens, because Ken and I are both active members, but we've talked mm-hmm. about Latter-day Saint weddings, we've talked about you know what it's like for vacations for big Latter-day Saint families, yeah. and the sharing squad is just a bunch of people who watch us live, and they chime in, we read their comments throughout, and it's, Jason, it's so fun, I love sharing time. <laughs> And I, I needed something. I couldn't drop Latter-day Lives. You know, eight hours a week of my life or 10 hours 
a week of my life for three years, every single week. I couldn't just say, okay, now I'm done and disconnected. So yeah, I love sharing time. Well, and that's, that's one thing about you, Sean, is that you, (laughs) you have so many various talents, you know, you you (laughs) drop, you know, that you're a comedian, but you're a really good comedian, you know, and and so you have taken, you know, some of your talents, some of which I didn't know how deep, these uh the, these roots went you have another podcast yeah castle collective which is not about comedy which <laughs> is not about lds uh theme things what is it about it's not latter-day saint at all i am a mega disneyland fan i'm a huge disneyland fan i don't and... know if there are enough synonyms that we can use yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love Disneyland, and in fact, here with my Apple Watch, we'll see if you can if you can hear it. It's eight twenty. <laughs> yeah, that's Mickey Mouse on my watch. So yeah, I I have for life. You know, my my grandfather. You know, I told you I was born in Orange County. I was born fifteen minutes from Disneyland. My grandparents, my my dad's from Anaheim. Uh, grew up, went to Anaheim High School. I've loved Disneyland my whole life. And then I've worked for companies either, you know, we, you know, some of our customers that we, we have in, yeah. in Orange County. My company currently is in North San Diego County. So for about eight or 10 years now, I've had a, an annual pass. I mean, Disneyland's closed with coronavirus right now. But uh, once it reopens, I'll get another annual pass. Every year I do an annual pass. And I just love Disneyland. I love the history of it. I love everything. So the Castle Collective, I have a lot of friends who are amazing former cast members or host their own podcasts about. They're just amazing Disneyland fans as well. They're the collective. We all sit down together and we choose a topic, either a ride or something. This is not Latter-day Saint focused at all. However, most of our collective members are Latter-day Saints. So, uh, but it's, uh, we just choose a, a ride or something. And yeah, I, my knowledge of, this is my fear though, Jason, this is what's going to happen because you and I also share a love of obscure eighties, new wave music. <laughs> and so, sure. so, you know, I mean, what's going to end up happening is we're going to be at the, uh, we're going to be at the pearly gates or whatever. And they're going to say, okay, recite some scripture or something. There's going to be some catch and I'm going to have no idea what it is. I know I'm supposed to know it, but then I'm going to say like, yeah, but I know all the words to, you know, this one obscure song by Echo and the Bunnymen, <laughs> you know, and by the way, did you know who designed, uh, you know, the haunted mansion and some of the history of it at <laughs> Disneyland? I try to do my best to study, study the gospel, but I'm not a scriptorian. I'm not a singer. I'm not a dancer, not much of an actor. I've done some acting, but I'm not good at it. But uh, knowing Disneyland and, and talking to people, those are two things I'm pretty comfortable with. Well, I know we're probably getting to, to the end here, but uh, what, what else is on the horizon for Sean Rapier? You know, it's interesting because I'm, I feel like I'm at a really unique place in my life right now. Um, my, my youngest son has a year and a half and then he'll, again, right now the plan knock on wood is he'll go on a mission and, uh, you know, our kids having kind of different, you know, different experiences and different needs. We haven't had a child go on a mission yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've gone through, through seven and, you know, Keaton may, may go. We hope he will. We have one daughter who got married, and unfortunately, that ended really quickly. But 
So we don't have sons and daughters-in-law. We don't have any grandkids. And I'm, that's a trend I'm hoping will continue for a little while. But so we're at this kind of unique time where, where we're looking at becoming empty nesters. Yeah. In the meantime, I've been very blessed to have my career. I kind of have this real yin and yang life, Jason. You've known it. You've lived it. Jason has like understated how close of friends we are. Like, I don't know how <laughs> to tell you, but we've been to China together. We've been to Taiwan. We've been to Canada together. We've been to all over the United States. I mean, multiple times we've, we've been on the East Coast. We've been to, we almost got uh, arrested in China. We almost got mugged and killed in Washington, D.C. together. Um <laughs> But and, I have this. Uh, I I can't imagine the amount of time that we clocked at the foosball table. Yes, so much foosball, <laughs> so much foosball. But uh, but basically, I mean, what it comes down to is I have this sort of yin and yang life, where I get to I have some friends who are filmmakers. I get to write and do some creative writing projects with them. Mm-hmm. I've written for some pretty big name entertainers, which is cool. I've gotten to write for some cool projects, you know, some commercials and a music video and some other fun stuff. <laughs> and, and, you know, I get to do sharing time and kind of that creative side, but also I'm the vice president of sales for a company that makes iPad cases and laptop bags. And, you know, I've been very blessed to have a full career and yeah. So I don't know what's next. I'm kind of keeping my options open. I'm grateful to be employed. I stayed employed all through all through COVID. Our company seems to be doing well, and I think they're happy with me. But I go where the Lord wants me to go, and that's one of the things I've I've learned that's a blessing. My patriarchal blessing talks a lot about how I will uh, I will know the course of my life as the Lord reveals it to me. So. I've also realized that every time I put my foot down and say, this is what I'm going to do, it doesn't work. That, that, mm-hmm. I think that works for some people. Like, I think there's a righteous way to do that. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. Uh, the Lord has been remarkably good to me and my family. So I don't rule out anything anymore. But uh, what's funny, though, is with, with Latter-day Lives, I produced it. I got it, you know, every week and I, I scrutinize over it. I check the numbers all the time. What are our numbers? And it was such a big part of my life. And then it got big enough where I was like, okay, I achieved what I wanted to achieve. You know, I never look at the numbers for sharing time. I, <laughs> yeah. I listen to it again just because I want to hear Ken's jokes. I listen to it every time we publish an episode to see what I missed while we were recording it live. And there are always like 15 jokes. <laughs> oh, geez, Ken, I missed that. But it's a true labor of love. It's celebrating our Latter-day Saint culture. Yeah. So otherwise, we're just going to keep doing sharing time. We're going to keep doing the Castle Collective. It's nice that they're not weekly shows. You know, mm-hmm. we've gone, we actually, when coronavirus started, we didn't want to do it over Zoom. So we went months without a sharing time episode. Yeah. Um, but now we're back and yeah, just having fun. Then we got to figure out how to get Jason to move back to Utah because. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm on true. board with that. Yeah, because Jason and I used to go to a lot of concerts together. And true. now I go to, a, well, now I don't go to any concerts. But before coronavirus, I found myself going to concerts alone. <laughs> so, but yeah. it's good. Not, not to mention the 7-Eleven's revenues have gone down so much since I, I know. We. <laughs> We used to get big gulps every single day, but Jason, your <laughs> podcast is awesome. I'm just excited for it. And I'm excited to be on it, and uh, yeah, I think you're gonna you're doing great things. So it's just right, awesome, thanks, Sean. 
So if people want to connect with you, uh, the Facebook uh, page of Sharing Time is probably the best way. Yeah, right now we may move Sharing Time over to YouTube at some point, but okay. right now we're keeping it on Facebook for now. But yeah, go like us at uh, at at Sharing Time. Um, we also have a, an Instagram, I think it's Sharing Time Pod. Um, yeah, and then the other thing is even more random uh, than all of this. If you're really into competition barbecue, that's become a new passion for me. Uh, right. I have a I have a, a competition barbecue team now. Uh, it's me and another podcaster, Nick Galetti, uh, and the the team is called GabaQ. We have a uh, we have an Instagram that's uh, just at GabaQ, and uh, we do. I, I barbecue three or four times a week. It's become a real passion, and and we compete. We go and actually do competitions. So, and that's when I say there's there's a lot to Sean. You peel back a lot of layers, like an onion. Yes, <laughs> and like your an barbecue an, layers, <laughs> like an <laughs> onion. All the cars that we have. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, like an onion, uh, I can be bitter. <laughs> um, I make a lot of people cry. <laughs> so. I'm uh, I'm definitely yeah I'm like an onion in many ways. I'm not I'm not necessarily good at barbecue or at podcasting or at comedy or at any of these things, but uh, I, I do them. I, I think that's the, in, the interesting thing, though. You you actually are good at them. See, I I dabble in things. I am the ultimate dabbler. And I realize that I'm really not good. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true at all. So, but yeah, you, you recently on your uh, uh, Gabacue page did something that I've never seen before. Bacon wrapped Oreos, I think. Yes. Bacon wrapped Oreos. So for Christmas, uh, we don't bake. Like I don't know how to bake anything. I can't bake from a mix. And I wanted to take some of our neighbors and my sisters and a bunch of people food. So I used four of my smokers. I have about eight smokers. Um, I used four of them that day. I made, uh, ribs and, uh, pineapple, smoked pineapple. And what are called uh, burnt ends? They're they're pork belly burnt ends, which you just have to look up burnt ends. I don't know how to describe them. They're amazing. But I wanted to give something that was dessertish. And what do you make dessert on a smoker? And I had seen this recipe. So you take uh, you take bacon, you wrap it around the Oreo, you sprinkle some uh, sweet sweet uh, barbecue rub on it, and uh, throw it on the smoker, and the bacon gets nice and crispy, and it's a combination of Bacon and melty Oreo. It's delicious. So we <laughs> awesome. packaged it all up and took it over to the neighbors. So yeah, yeah it was fun. Well, I think we're, we're at the end, Sean, but uh, I also am going to ask you the famous question, um, which you always ended your podcast with. What does being a member of the church mean to you, Sean? Hmm. You know, it's funny. On the 100th episode, Nick asked me that question at the end, and I was totally unprepared for it. We had done a hundred episodes at that point. I hadn't even thought about <laughs> what it what it means to me. Um, I didn't prep you. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's good. Um, at the time, you know, again, the episode was similar to, or the answer was similar to something I said a little bit ago, and I, which is that this is my tribe, my church is my people. I get very caught up in that. I defend my people. I love my people. Um, I love servants of the Lord. You know, I love bishops and I love stake presidents and, and I love people who serve. I love ministering brethren and sisters who go out. I love the people put out flags with the youth or whatever it is. I just, I love 
the church itself. I love yeah. the people of the church. The gospel to me is my, it's my centering. It's, you know, I have, as you know, I have pretty severe ADD. I have a hard time focusing on life. And uh, I start off my day with scripture study. And it's, it's, it's my North Star. It's my compass. I, I'm lost without it. Um, and, and really, every time I try to take control of my life and I say, this is what I'm going to do, things go wrong. And every time that I let go and just listen to what the Spirit wants me to do, everything goes right. I have no words, and the older I get, the more grateful I am for the church, and the more I cannot believe that a wretched soul as I was born into this amazing institution. What I'm just grateful, and I know it's all true, and I love it, and I'm sad. I'm sad when people leave it. Again, I feel like I'm losing my tribe. These are my people. Yeah. Why are you leaving us? There's so much good here. And and one of the things I'm grateful for, you know, I, I see that people will really break down every little part of the church and, you know, they'll get hung up on, but what about this and what about that? And I think what about isms are, are really troubling. One of the things I'm grateful for, and I, I don't say this to be self-deprecating or, you know, whatever, I mean it. I'm not that smart of a guy. I'm still a high school dropout. I mean, I'm amazed that I've had a career because legitimately I finished, you know, my sophomore year of high school, my junior year, I dropped out. That's it. I'm not an educated man. I don't think I could go back to college. My brain doesn't work well with text. Uh, I tend to take the church on the whole. I look at it as a church. The gospel is true. The spirit has testified. Oh, here's something I don't get. That must be my problem, not the church's. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that. I comprehend the beauty of the church. I see the joy. I see the beauty. And are there problems? Maybe. Maybe there are. I don't know because I'm too focused on the beautiful service, on the Savior, on the atonement, on the prophet, on the Book of Mormon, on all that it's done for my family. And at least for me personally, and my heart goes out to those who leave the church, it would be extremely ungrateful for me to walk away after. I, I would have nothing. My family, my wife, my career, my home, everything I have is because of this church. And I'm eternally grateful for it. Don't know what I did to be blessed with it. That's beautiful. Thanks, Sean. Well, he is a husband, a father, a comedian, a sales professional extraordinaire, a podcaster, a writer, a heck of a foosball player, a barbecue <laughs> aficionado, a world traveler, and my closest friend, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much. <laughs> Jason, you're the best, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for listening. I am very grateful for my dear friend, Sean Rapier, coming on the show. We always have so much fun when we get together. And I'm sure from this episode, you can see why he is such a good friend of mine. We probably could have talked for another hour. One thing that I love about Sean, you know, other than that he is a wonderful friend, um, that he's incredibly funny, that I can talk to him about uh, cars and 80s music, about technology, that we can play foosball, um, that I can tell corny jokes uh, and share a Diet Coke. We also share a passion for, you know, what... Some may say is a disorder with buying cars every year or two when we get bored of our current cars. You know, I should also say <laughs> we have very patient wives. But besides all these things, 
The one thing that I really love about Sean also is that I can talk to him about the gospel. I can talk to him about things that have strengthened my testimony. He is a very spiritual man. Both of us had uh, similar experiences when we were inactive as teenagers in the 80s. You know, if you took a look at both of us back then, me in Utah and Sean in California, you would have never guessed that we would have served missions. For both of us, our missions were hinge points in our lives. They were life-changing. Our testimonies were cemented during those years. Sean is someone who I look up to a lot, and I'm so glad that you got to know him today. Well, I hope that we've added a little bit of sunshine to your day. And we would so appreciate it if you would rate and review this episode. If you liked it, please share it. Until next time, cheers from the Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest.